This is Mark Mullinax. Welcome back to Power for the Peaceful, a title appropriate for this verse 30 today. So today, verse 30, the question of war, part one. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. The sweet sound of the river as she moves over the stones. The same song that the blood in your body sings as it weaves around your bones. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? My teachings are easy to understand and my practices are not strict, but no one understands or practices them in the world. Tao Te Ching, verse 70. In using the way to assist in managing people, avoid strong-arming anything under heaven. Such affairs easily rebound. Tao Te Ching, verse 30, Carl Abbott. Welcome back, my peaceful, peacemaking, peace-waging friends. Today's quote reader and question asker is Kimberly Gilliam, a native Virginian recently transplanted to Asheville. She is a poet, musician, massage therapist, and mother of three daughters. In today's verse 30, and also next episode's verse 31, Lao Tzu will make his strongest war is never the answer arguments. To make his case, we tread on controversial ground, no less today than in his time. Most anyone could and can still make the arguments that in some rare or most unlikely circumstances, the use of war, whether for offense or otherwise, is necessary. Many might point to the just war theories of Augustine and Aquinas in Western Christianity as foundations on which one could legitimately use weapons against other human beings, even though Augustine and Aquinas believed that every human being was made in and never lost the image of God. But to anticipate Taoism's comeback to what may be the slippery slopes to war that Augustine, Aquinas, and their disciples build, here again, the last part of verse 29 from our last episode, which says quite directly, Sages live simply without overthinking. They reject rhythm-breaking extremes, extravagance, and indulging. War is rhythm-breaking, extravagant, and indulging. War is an extreme thirst that we colonize for ourselves with for a violent end to a problem person problem persons, problem peoples. This verse amplifies why such extravagant, rhythm-breaking violence indulgence is just plain wrong. War and weapons use are addictive. I use the word just now, thirsts. They are thirst we develop, thirst which can only be slaked by more war. I'm not speaking today of average patriotism or love of country. Patriotism is good. But it can, when we get this thirst for vengeance, say 9-11, and things can go very, very wrong. It is easy to leave, or in Taoist lingo, forget, our original grounding in peace, 
harmony, and Tao. Not just our grounding, but everyone's. As we learn from earlier verses, we are born with original virtue. Virtue that once compromised or forgotten seems to us and to others alien, out of place, or out of touch with reality. So let me reference this back to verse 18. When people desert great Tao, they settle for thinned out rules, spiritless concepts of morality and self-righteousness, even shrewdness, arise as substitutes. Patriots and loyal ministers shout out their importance only when they feel that decay threatens their nation. I want to be clear and upfront from the first. I am not a gatekeeper to Taoist orthodoxy. There are multiple opinions, some of them historically accurate, about what constitutes a good Taoist understanding of violence and its uses. I, just one person, understand Lao Tzu saying here that recourses to arms are never, as in not ever, Taoist options. I say this to become conversational with you, the class. Let me put forth what I understand this verse to be saying, and then please let me know what you think I've missed. The consequences of this verse's interpretations are enormous. Here's the verse. Verse 30, Proportionate Action. Rule with Tao and you lose the need for military stratagems. Learn how causes and effects are proportionate and why military strength quickly boomerangs on you. Wherever armies pass, they leave behind only harvest of entangling briars. After their campaigns, what is left? Only misfortunes and famine. The good strategist understands as she does the balance of cause and effect, cooperates with Tao only to do just enough to accomplish her goals. Then she stops. She does not over-tighten things to get results. She does not practice arrogance to accomplish. She does not need violent means to underwrite peace-minded ends. Non-Dao practices end in quick decay. No future here. Is Taoism pacifist? Not explicitly pacifist. No Taoist text I know of ever says, no war ever. Many of Tao's key principles, however, inescapably support a thoroughgoing peace from inside out to outside in, from bottom to top, side to side, across time, all the time, everywhere. Taoism's most central precepts include compassion, humility, moderation, and simplicity, each of which contribute to living in harmony with nature and with others. Such precepts are what Taoists lead with, because this is what they love. Because what we love, we lead with. Taoists, like all of us, put the thoughts of all they love and practice into what they are and actions they do. With our thoughts, we make the world, said the Buddha. Taoists' thoughts strive ever to be ever peaceful, never warring, or premeditatively murderous. From this striving, there are no vacations. A strange game. The only winning move is not to play. From the movie, War Games. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening?
simply stated, my understanding here is that nation states do not lead with nor follow Tao. Nations lead with their sense of right to endure above all. To endure, they feel they must amass, build, and keep power, which means at the same time neutralizing their enemies, foreign and domestic. Their first love or first duty is to the maintenance of the state itself. And to do this, states become these artificial hierarchy-making machines, privileging one group of people over all others. War and violence are never off their tables as state-sponsored actions. It's as if we give our nation-states a free pass on violence as a legitimate means of governing. But if we, the, we the people, were to practice the same violence against another person, we may justifiably be imprisoned. Feel the disconnect? States shield themselves from self-incrimination by doing some things so often they seem to become normal or even moral, or at least not immoral. Things like war, punishment, violence. And when something becomes normal, who questions it anymore? We concur and participate in actions that harm others while sitting on the shoulders of a state. And high on those shoulders, we the citizens, high above the rest of a suffering world, become colonized to one narrow, distant view of how to see, encounter, and treat others. Why? Because we are out of earshot of all the people below us. And we do all kinds of things in the name of a state. The state becomes a shield to protect our own violent actions. I mean, when 24 cents of every dollar a U.S. citizen pays goes to maintain national defense budgets, we have developed a blind spot in our own maintenance of a state that relies upon violence to exist. States, and by extensions, we allow the development of mentalities of good guys and bad guys, slaveries, class hierarchies, in-groups, out-groups, elites, non-elites. Can a state really be trusted to have everyone's interest at the table where decisions get made that promote some lives and end other lives? This is the state's normal state. We get told that such violences are somehow necessary. Well, as a Dallas farmer in our last verse said, maybe. And one may legitimately ask, come on, Mark, what's a people to do if attacked unjustly by another state? Roll over and die without a sound or protest? Or, Mark, many consider World War II to have been a war of necessity. How would you answer that from a Dallas perspective? Or, what about violence in the animal world where nature, in Tennyson's words, is red in tooth and claw? How do we escape our current eye-for-an-eye revenge mentalities? When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? How many deaths will it take? How much war must we visit upon ourselves before we recognize that war does not work? War is bloody, war is messy. It not only tends to hide the truth, but sacrifice the truth. War postpones the unalterable need to reconcile our actions to our knowledge of the truth, that we are all members of one family, and no matter who has conquered whom, who now resents whom, 
The only way we can have true peace is to set aside our injuries and our dedication to revenge and accept our equal divinity. John Lewis, Across the Bridge. Taoists join many others across traditions, centuries, and continents who argue against violence from several perspectives. One such perspective is the sanctity of all life and all the non-life that supports life. Destroying the sacred web of life and life support is morally wrong always. Another shared perspective is that violence has never completely stopped any force. Force coming to friction with other forces always heats things up. When I was a child, I was regularly spanked. But I resolved that such spankings would never, ever subdue me. I seethed, schemed, and planned my payback. Spankings never made me into a nice little well-behaved youngster. They shaped me to become a schemer, a revenger, if that's a word. Force begets unpredictable and powerful reactions. Force begets more force. And this is how escalation happens. Another perspective that Taoists share is a commitment to end suffering, not cause more. War and violence results in significant suffering, and not just for the generation that fights, not just the PTSD that becomes the inherited legacy of later generations. I speak of the unbelievable environmental degradation, the desolation of lands and forest. Later generations will live under our shadow of war. Exhibit A is the 100 million unexploded landmines throughout the world today, landmines planted like seeds decades ago, and which render many lands unlivable today. Next, even defensive wars can escalate. Unintended and unforeseen and uncontrollable consequences happen whenever someone breaks the harmony of a place, a person, an ecosystem. This is just basic learning from history. The Taoist actively pursues disinterest in the state's rationales for war, so as to remain free of harm-inducing ideologies. The next perspective shared with Taoism is that violence is expensive. Violence appropriates the economic resources, like your 24 cents of every tax dollar you pay. It destroys economic capacities and has multi-generational environmental impacts. Poverty begins, happens, and seems never to end. The tide of harmony that should lift all boats becomes interrupted by rhythm breaking at streams, extravagance, and indulging in violence's fantasies. Another perspective to consider soberly is the animosities that get stirred up, that stay stirred up for generations, and when turned into grievances by some populist leader, they come to dominate future states' actions to no good ends. Imagine yourself colonized by some ongoing, never-ending hatred or instability caused by someone saying, you should, and that is right and moral to, hate. How does that end? Now imagine a whole people or civilization with the same ongoing instabilities caused by hatreds, attitudes, and grievances. How does one break that cycle? Taoist, like many others, are dedicated to proactive diplomacy and cooperation to prevent or lessen conflicts and high emotions in the first place. They would rather build structures of peace than weapons to end that fragile peace. Bridges, not bridge destructions. And let us remember this historically. 
Tao Te Ching was written first and heard in a very difficult time in China, its Warring States period. Lao Tzu, a state archivist and most likely a close reader of history, saw so much potential wasted in his day. Thus, it may be that his dedication to countercultural ways of peace, to dampening one's ego, and to leading by serving, these were ways that he and people like him learned to distrust government's moral right to hand out military marching orders. So Lao Tzu taught how individuals can and should take responsibility for their own actions and resist all participation in unjust systems. For we know how a state or government often acts in unjust or oppressive ways. Lao Tzu sought a virtuous stance, the sanctity of an individual conscience in the face of such injustices. And this is how nonviolence is built into Taoism. Verse 46. When enough's enough. When the world sinks with Tao, horses live on farms. But in a world out of sync with Tao, Horses trained for war in the cities. So Taoism against all war, that's its worldview. While Tao Te Ching does not elaborate on warfare's conduct specifically, its opposition is implied everywhere by its worldview. Taoists advocate non-activity or non-intervention, Wu Wei. Whoever acts, harms. Whoever seizes, lets things slip. Therefore the sage does not act and causes no harm. She does not seize, and so does not let things slip. There's this general rule about human nature. We sow our passions into all we do. That which we love or hate, we sow into and grow into them with our passions. If we are enraptured with violent means, violent stories on the news, conflict, these violences will show up in all we do. If we're in love with virtue, te in its path, Tao, then virtue is our leading character in any situation. Taoism seeks to find the compassionate best in every situation or context. That compassionate best, by definition, excludes war, defense, violence, and subjugation. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? Someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. Warren Buffett. Violence is a quick fix to a long-term problem. Violence is not a fine tool, but a blunt instrument. The Taoist takes the long view, the real long view, to bring compassion to a situation. Long-term solutions take generations to implement because the violences and inequalities that breed them took generations to develop. Now, the Taoist is not likely to be some famous or obvious force for peace, never some outraged war protester on the news. No, Taoists are more likely to place themselves like a stone in the stream to alter just a tiny bit the flow, force, and direction of the water so that downstream a different but quite invisible energy or force comes into play. This is what taking the long view means. Have we the wisdom and the patience? One counter-argument against Taoist nonviolence is, as I mentioned, nature herself, which seems red in tooth and claw. 
We've all seen the nature programs with seemingly kill-or-be-eaten mentalities. Some of the killing is by the alpha male to maintain his instinct-driven dominance, to pass only his genes to the next generations. True, but why? Does the alpha male operate out of ego or biological instinct? There is a difference. With ego, one operates only from a self-alone perspective, that is, to promote only the self, which quickly boomerangs and into second, third, and fourth best virtues, a veritable slippery slope of transmogrifying from one's original virtue to following untrue stories about ourselves and others. Choosing to lead from one's original virtue or to lead from lesser virtues, ego virtues, ego values, that's a choice. But an animal? What kind of choice have they if they're operating from instinct? We may call animals mean, but really? Is it not us who are mean first and then project our own meanness onto those actions and animals that mirror back to us what we already are? A Taoist may not be able to stop a war, but they can, I believe, I have to believe, that by wisely positioning themselves in society, they can prevent so many future conflicts. Let me get a bit controversial here, but also speculative. Most folks agree that World War II was a good war, a necessary conflict that ended German and other Axis powers' aggressions and their pogroms, holocausts, invasions. And most people felt that there was a clear and present danger from these, and direct action was needed. Yes. However, you're an intelligent class who can entertain an alternative explanation, can you see how the seeds of World War II were sown long before in the lead-ups to World War I and its so-called peace agreement? Colonial aspiring powers were carving up the undeveloped worlds of Africa and South America. World War I did not fix, but only exacerbated these aspirations. Additionally, the perpetrators of the worst aggression Germany was severely hamstrung economically, embarrassed on the world stage, and the demeaning conditions it was forced to face in the 1920s perhaps led to a Nazi state of the 1930s. Lesson. Every action or reaction today has a long, long history. Seeds for war in 1939 were sown many years, even decades or longer prior. A Taoist seeks to understand how such seeds get planted in the first place and then grow, but she also seeks to be an agent of slow change. That would be like the pilot on the Titanic, always anticipating trouble, seeing consequences where others may not, and who would steer his ship away from the iceberg sooner. That's a Taoist position. That's a Taoist job. Anticipate and then position oneself like a stone in the river, slowly altering the course of events so that extremes in governments or their policies are nipped in the bud. You may call me naive, but you can demonstrate this very truth yourself. And this is our homework. In your own family, at your own workplace, in your own web of relations, you can wisely observe the flows of goodness and love and cooperation, and you can wisely detect those pinch points where discord happens. But you, can you not wisely, patiently soften, dilute, and even wear down these tight spaces, these resistances like water can? 
most of these solutions you bring will not act. They are not cause reactions. But you'll be like a weather-making force for virtue, te, on the way, dao, to less violence and more peace. So be like water, or a stone in the water, perceptive, discerning, wise, quiet. I'll bet you can change a difficult situation just by not doing as usual, not reacting as usual. Let me know of your successes or difficulties. I am invested in this homework myself and can use some companions and encouragers. And now, our question from Kimberly. I'm curious what Taoism has to say about personal relationships. Relationships with a partner, relationship with family members. I think Taoism has almost infinite capacity to inform relationships. Uh, As you probably know, relationships have a right time, right place rhythm that can easily get skewed. So how do you unskew it? Well, one way you can do it is wait. Or another way is you can learn from past mistakes, which we all have. Can I get a witness? Learn from those past mistakes about, you know, things that we really don't need to repeat. And this is a, this is a, a actual practice of Wu Wei, which I call the right time, the right place for everything. And Wu Wei is not not doing, although it can be that, but it's wise action. And I think you can practice wise action in the moment by remembering who you are, remembering maybe past mistakes, but also, and this is important, trusting yourself that in that moment, you're going to be doing the right thing. And if it's the right thing for you, and maybe not the right thing for the other person, then you've got something you can talk about. But, but if the timing is right, and, and relationships are so dependent on timing, I, th- I think that Taoism is a, a great way to experience love, to experience friendship. So I'm convinced that we can become masters and wise sages even about relationships knowing and learning to know in advance what works and what doesn't work i think all of us could improve that way and by paying attention to our mistakes and our places where we do things right i think we can develop a different rhythm depending on whom we're with how does that work for you i think that works i I'm thinking um, about the, what I just read for you, um, and it says to not overthink. Yeah. But we need to not overthink, but we still need to be aware of what we're doing in the moment. Yeah. And I, that's a fine line. So the practice would then become, when are we overthinking and how do we stop it? Because mm-hmm. I think for many of us in relationships, we tend to overthink. Mm-hmm. And we get, and overthinking causes paralysis. Mm. Good. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> okay. All right. I appreciate this time with you very, very much. Uh, thank you for having me. 
This podcast is an original labor of love designed, written, and co-produced by many whose central idea is that Tao Te Ching is good news for today. Tao still speaks. Kimberly Gilliam's voice graced our episode this week. Audrey Davis is our valued artist. Molly Hartwell sings her song, Put Your Roots Down. Fortress Press holds the copyright for quotations from my Tao Te Ching translation. Thank you for your attendance in this class on Taoism. May your days begin in peace waging and become wombs for radical hope. When you're listening, when you're listening, Are you listening?